Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, April 18th. We begin with our weekly chat with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. This week, Mercedes shares details of her interview with the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, who testified before a House of Commons committee last week on Chinese interference in the Canadian political system. Tax season is now in full swing, so how would a potential strike of public workers impact Canadian taxpayers? We get the thoughts of Jasme Gwinnett, VP of National Affairs from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And finally, it's another edition of Tech Tuesday with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. This time out, Mike has a serious warning for smartphone users to safeguard your personal information when you're on the go. Last week, a Commons Committee on China's Interference heard from Chief of Staff to our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, Katie Telford. With details on her testimony and the latest news from the Capitol, we're joined this morning, as we are every week, by Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, how are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you talk a little bit more about Katie Telford's testimony before the Commons Committee and sort of what came out? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the big reveal is there was no big reveal, yeah. um, which is not surprising whenever you have senior political staff testifying. Um, it's very rare for them to testify. And when they do, they tend to not say about a lot. And, and in Katie Telford's case, um, she basically used the tactic we were expecting, which was that she was saying a lot of this is national security information. It's highly classified. She can't disclose the nature of, of what was in some of these briefings. It was interesting that we got a list, though, of the dates that formal briefings occurred. Now, a formal briefing is like super official. So this could have been and would have been, according to the national security sources we're talking to and, and former very senior national security advisors who said this on the air. There would have been more discussion than that that wasn't considered uh, formal briefings because it's not a sit-down session or it's mentioned in passing in another meeting. But those gave us some solid meetings. And there were some really interesting dates in there, including one that Global News had reported on. We couldn't get uh, any more information from this testimony about the contents of that briefing, but it was interesting even to start to see those official dates lining up. So there's still a ton of questions to be asked or answered here. I think depending on where people fall on this, listening to Ms. Telford solidified their opinions, either that they believe a public inquiry would not produce any additional information because of the nature of so much of this being so highly classified, or that that is precisely why a public inquiry is needed, because you're not able to get answers in these partisan committees. Um, so lots of questions still there. And keep in mind, it is David Johnston, uh, the former Governor General of Canada, um, who is looking into sort of this initial report that will recommend to the government whether or not to proceed with a public inquiry. Uh, we as the media might have opinions and the general public about uh, you know, Katie Telford's testimony and again, kind of a, a dance, so to speak. But what about insiders like Dick Fadden, former CSIS director and national security and intelligence advisor for the prime minister? What did he seem to think about uh, Ms. Telford's testimony? Well, Dick says, you know, it's it's really more proof that there's likely a public inquiry needed to be able to ask some of these questions and, and get more answers. Although, again, you can run into that problem of classified information. I asked Dick how much of um, what Ms. Telford was saying he felt was likely that 
truly national security, and, and she's not able to talk about it in an open environment, and how much of it was politics. And he sort of said equal measures. Some of this was her using national security to shield answering questions in his opinion uh, that potentially could have been answered and could have been disclosed, but there also were some questions about information that would have been highly sensitive uh, and classified. So you know, Mr. Fadden's been on the show a few times. He's a really interesting guy. He was the national security advisor to both Stephen Harper and uh, the current prime minister, Justin Trudeau, and uh, he has really felt that there is a need for, for more transparency from the national security community and from the government um, to find out what happened. Because the, the big problem right now is there's now sort of this huge question mark about what they knew and when they knew it. And could they have done more to act? Did they do enough to act? Why didn't they act in some scenarios? And there's just sort of no question. No, no, no answers to those questions. Um, and one of the things that he and others have raised is the concerns that creates um, among Canadians about our system, about our intelligence agencies, and that those concerns are growing with a void of information rather than going away. Do you think it made Canada look bad at all in terms of the information that came out? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, think, I think it's fair to say... Um, Every country that is a, a major Western country right now is dealing with China trying to get information, trying to spy on them, trying to influence them, trying to place people in government. Uh, they're certainly not only in Canada. Um, Australia's had a huge problem with this. So has the United Kingdom, so has the U.S. In fact, just yesterday, um, a number of people were arrested and charged in the United States for operating secret police stations there for the Chinese government, something that we have here in Canada too, but no one has been arrested or charged here. So I don't think the question um, of whether or not we look bad is about the fact that China's here and trying to do this, uh, and in some cases succeeding. I think sort of the where we may end up looking bad and where I hear from the national security community that we get pressure from our allies is why are we not taking some of the same steps that they've taken years ago to try to mitigate this? For example, the foreign agents registry, which means if you're working for a foreign government, you have to register that. Now, the joke about that is real spies don't register when they're working for foreign governments. However, where it can make it more difficult is when people are pouring money into political campaigns. And a lot of folks think this is happening during the actual election period. It's not. It's happening before that when candidates are being selected for individual ridings. And those races have very few rules. They are run by the parties. And there's not oversight from Elections Canada. So if you're someone who wants to manipulate who is being chosen to run, that is your time to get involved because there's just so much less scrutiny. But something like a foreign agent's registry would at least make it so that if you were donating money or using money on behalf of a foreign country and you get caught doing it and you haven't registered well now there's something breaking the law because one of the things that we're running into with so much of this is it's not actually legal in canada so people are saying why hasn't someone been arrested why hasn't there been more done well a lot of these things simply are not against the laws because they have not been rewritten to deal with it wow interesting in the interference this espionage to so to speak it seems to be the new warfare and uh, the new thing that have you know governments on high alert, even down south now. Can you tell us more about the what happened last week? It came to light last week. The leaked Pentagon documents and their significance. You had the chance, I believe, to to hear from uh, U.S. Ambassador to NATO Kurt Volker. Is that right? Yeah, he, he was a former uh, U.S. ambassador uh, to NATO. He also uh, was a former special representative on Ukraine uh, under the Trump administration. It knows national security very well. It's sort of the shocking leak because was a 21-year-old, and he wasn't working for a foreign government so far from what's come to light. Anyhow, it appears he was trying to impress his friends uh, in a private chat channel, which is just mind-boggling uh, for a lot of Canadians that a 21-year-old would have had 
access to these documents. So the reason why he had access to these documents is because he was an IT systems analyst. And if you're a systems analyst, you can get into all parts of the system. Um, and I asked Kurt Volker, like, how bad is this? And he said, look, obviously it's not good when intelligence leaks like that. The intelligence itself, though, was likely dated by the time it leaked because intelligence changes so quickly. Like 24-hour period can be tremendous change. Where he felt sort of the real vulnerability was, was not in the actual information, but in what it will have revealed about how the U.S. knows that information. So who are they wiretapping? Who do they have potential human sources undercover hidden with who are reporting back? How are they seeing things? And that could allow countries like China or Russia to evade that detection now uh, until, of course, the U.S. finds a new way. Uh, because they now are able to say, oh, they're listening to those phones. Don't use them. They clearly have somebody in that village watching. Don't go there. Um, so that's sort of the, the more damaging thing in his view. But he also said it was very revealing about how often U.S. intelligence is wrong and how serious that is. Because he said, look, it proves the U.S. has tremendous capability to gather huge, vast amounts of intelligence. But it also showed that a lot of the intelligence that was in those documents was wrong, which, by the way, anyone intelligent will tell you that is common. Intelligence is often wrong because it's bits of information. It's not like evidence in a criminal trial. Uh, but his suggestion was that the U.S. needs more experienced intelligence analysts and likely more who are in the field rather than at desks doing analysis, and that that might improve the accuracy of analyzing these huge amounts of information. And perhaps some more security around those who have their noses <laughs> in our most sensitive information, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> Thank you, as always, Mercedes. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. We will find out later today if public service workers will be taking strike action. Joining us to discuss the issue and how this could impact you during tax season is ja- uh, J- uh, Jasmine Gannett. Sorry about that, Jasmine. Pre- Vice President of National Affairs, Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Good morning to you, Jasmine. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. It's my pleasure. Well, let's talk about this. What is behind this strike action? These employees, what what are they looking for? They are looking for a 33% wage increase over three years. That would cost a taxpayer close to a billion uh, dollars just to pay for the wage increase. And so it's a massive uh, increase, and they are looking to have a deal signed with the government by the end of today, well, by 9 o'clock Eastern Time today. And if not, uh, if no deal is uh, made, uh, they could go on strike as early as tomorrow. Uh, this strike would impact uh, CRA services, the Canada Revenue Agency, as well as other departments uh, such as, you know, passport delivery, employment insurance, uh, Agriculture Canada, and so on. This is going to affect Canadians big time in many, many ways. Just to get a little bit of the background in terms of why they're asking for more money, have they been without any kind of a deal for a long time, no raises for a long time? What's that look like? Uh, yeah, they are saying that they are negotiating with government for two years now, uh, and uh, um, they uh, are looking to have this deal done quite uh, rapidly. So, uh, but you know, it's it's quite worrisome for a small business owner to see um, 
CRA employees and other department employees um, uh, going on strike uh, potentially as uh, of tomorrow, especially for CRA. CRA is the agency that small businesses deal the most with. Uh, you know, businesses, uh, uh, you know, will call CRA for questions. Uh, they will remit their taxes, obviously. Um, and so there are many reasons why businesses need to get in touch with CRA. It's already difficult to talk to an agent uh, uh, when they are not on strike. Uh, 53% of business owners in a recent survey said that they had to call multiple times before connecting with an agent. And that's when uh, services are quote-unquote delivered uh, uh, normally. So we can just imagine what would be the situation if they are on strike. Speaking with uh, Jasmine Gannett, VP of National Affairs, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And uh, Jasmine, I've heard the last check, and maybe you have some clarification for us here, uh, that the uh, tax deadline... Uh, that is set uh, will not be moved at this time, according to to the federal government. Even if you know, even if uh, the strike action happens. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, that's really uh, something that CRA should be considering is to delay tax deadlines so that businesses are not penalized uh, because of the uh, work stoppage. Uh, we have a couple of recommendations. We're asking a few things. Uh, so that businesses uh, are not uh, impacted by the strike because it's not uh, a small business's fault that uh, CRA will uh, be uh, on strike potentially as of tomorrow and they should not be impacted. So we're asking, for example, to maintain full service to small business, uh, not only during the negotiation, but uh, if a strike is triggered that full services to small business uh, be maintained. Uh, also, we're asking CRA and uh, other uh, department uh, uh, to uh, communicate clearly uh, to small businesses what will be their responsibility in the context of a strike and to delay, as you mentioned, and to delay tax deadline uh, so businesses uh, you know, have more time if uh, CRA agents uh, are on strike to uh, remit uh, their taxes and to uh, to do this uh, necessary work. Um, and so we are asking a couple of things. And at the end of the day, uh, if the strike is triggered and if it's a long strike, government must consider a back-to-work legislation so that uh, service uh, uh, can resume normally. I know we're talking about the concept, uh, you know, in terms of small business in this conversation, but yeah, that affects, if they don't move the date, it affects individuals as well, those expecting and counting on that money that could be coming back to them. Uh, Jasmine, when it comes to small businesses, other than obviously the, the, the income tax application, I know you've touched on it a little bit, but are there other uh, things that will affect small businesses that you can tell us about that maybe some of us maybe wouldn't be aware of? Yeah, I mean, many other departments uh, uh, could be impacted. Um, uh, immigration is one. And so let's say uh, you have application pending with immigration to bring workers in. Uh, and you need those workers in uh, 
rapidly to uh, work on your farm or to work in your manufacturing business. Uh, if delays uh, happen because of a strike, that could financially impact your business. If call centers at uh, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada are not available, um, you know, maybe businesses or farmers uh, uh, calling for questions uh, important for their business uh, might not get the answer that they need. Um, if employment insurance uh, is uh, is is down uh, businesses you know dealing with hiring or having to let go employees all that sort of things will be impacted uh, and it's already difficult to run a small business on a normal time uh, it's going to be uh, even more complicated if all the services that the federal government is providing uh, aren't uh, available because of a strike uh, because federal employees are looking to have a 30% wage increase, at least those working for CRA. Uh, Jasmine, just before we let you go, you did mention the EI. That's troubling for those folks who found themselves on hard time, depending on EI. A, a texter writes in and says, uh, do we know if this will affect pensions being delivered? I'm not sure if that's something you'd be able to answer for us. I cannot answer that question, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, but... Uh, Every service, well, not every service, but many service that the federal government is providing to citizens and to businesses uh, could be uh, heavily impacted by this uh, strike. That's why we're asking government to negotiate. We're asking the union to stay at the table to negotiate in good faith with the government and a government should not hesitate to uh, implement a back-to-work legislation so that um, services can uh, resume uh, and citizens as well as uh, small businesses uh, will continue to be serviced by uh, uh, our government. We'll be watching how this plays out through the day. Thanks so much, Jasmine, for joining us. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you, Jasmine Gouinette, VP of National Affairs, Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Have you ever plugged your smartphone into a public USB port, maybe at the airport or a mall, just hoping to get a little bit more of a charge on your phone? Uh, I think it's safe to say most of us have done that at one point or another. But after listening to this segment, you might think twice about doing it again. It is Tech Tuesday and gadget guy Mike Yanni is joining us to talk about a threat that even has the FCC in the United States sending out warnings. Good morning to you, Mike. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Yeah, the FCC and the FBI now sending out warnings about this. It's just kind of crazy. I've covered tech for almost two decades, and I'm constantly amazed of how the culprits and how the, the bad guys out there turn the technology that we know and love against us. Because, mm. I mean, you guys, have, have you ever plugged into one of those public ports? I, I have until I started hearing reports where I shouldn't, and now I've stopped. Yeah, but, but yes, I've done it yeah, before. Well, the thing is, Mike, they're everywhere. And so if yeah. you're at the, if you're at the uh, you know coffee shop, for example, and there's a plug close to the the table, you're going to use it, right? Yeah, and and that's the problem. And this is where they're they're trying to get you. So basically, what's happening is these public USB ports are being tampered with. Uh, you know, people are installing malware on them, and so this is basically how it works. You plug in 
it installs software on your phone. It starts pilfering through your information, looking for account information, usernames, passwords, and all this kind of stuff that, of course, you want to keep private, and it, it basically transmits it to, you know, a third party. Um, so, obviously, they're, they're after your banking information. Mm-hmm. They want, you know, to and possibly even lock you out of your phone. So, interesting, there's a couple ways they can do this. They can, number one, they can upload that malware to the USB port. But they also get a little trickier than this. Now they're starting to leave cables in public places. So you're like, oh, there's a charge cable. I'm just going to plug into it instead of getting your own out of your backpack. Or they give away promotional cables. It's like, oh, there's a new, new brand launching and just hand them out on the streets. Little do you know that there's already malware on that cable. You use it. And it's going to pilfer that information from your phone. So, you know, I think a couple of takeaways here. Number one, try not to use them. Bottom line, try not to plug directly with a USB into these ports. Number two, use a charge brick. If you use a charge brick, it's different. It's not going to transmit data through a plug-in. It's just going to simply charge it. And the the other one is those annoying pop-ups when you plug in your phone into a device that says, do you trust this device? Say no. Because that's what it's asking. It's saying, hey, are you okay if we start transmitting data through this cable Mm. or do you want to just charge? So say no. Make sure you say no. Um, But bottom line, don't use them or even carry one of those portable chargers with you. Charge brick. Is that what a portable charger is? Is it like literally just that the battery pack that you put your phone on to give it a charge? Yeah, you know, like that little square part that you put into the actual wall where you connect the USB cable? Oh, okay, Use that. one of those, or if you don't want to use any of those public ports, just bring one of those portable batteries. We can just charge on the go. That's but the brick we way. plug into the wall and then plug our cord into the brick safe, is protecting us? your cord. That is safe. Yeah, that, that little brick, that little box is what is your safety. Even if the cord is infected? Exactly, yeah. Oh, okay. Wow, interesting stuff. That is a, a certain user beware that we needed to hear this morning, and it doesn't affect one type of phone either, so that's huge, Mike. Let's, uh, one, one thing before we move on, just quick thing I want to mention. This has actually been around since 2011. Oh, so it's wow. not brand new. It just seems to be making a comeback right now, and they're finding new ways, like actually putting the software on cable. So just, just keep that in mind. They oh, want great your, info. Yeah, they want your info. And another entity that might want your info is TikTok. And we've heard a lot about the app, and, and for the most part, being targeted by government in the States and, and here in Canada, organizations saying that if you're using one of our devices or on our network, you have to make sure that you, you can't have that TikTok app. Now, moving to the general public, and in fact, one state in the U.S. has banned the app, haven't they? Well, they're trying to. This is Montana. So Montana is obviously concerned about the privacy of uh, Montana residents, and they're saying that TikTok poses a significant threat to not only the residents of Montana, but state security. So they are proposing a full-out ban. And so what that means is it would actually block TikTok from the App Store if you live in Montana. And in fact, they will charge the App Store $10,000 a day if they find that they're still allowing access. But here's the thing, how do you enforce this? There are so many ways you can get apps. You can use a VPN, you can spoof where you live and download it you know, from, from the app store. So there's so many ways around this. And there's also the issue of people make their livelihood on TikTok now. Mm-hmm. There's lots of people that make a lot of money by making videos on there. And some politicians agree that, hey, we can't just say all, to all these people, sorry, your livelihood's gone. So I I don't know if this is going to pass. They're certainly trying to, and they want it to pass by January 1st of next year. How would our children waste their time as well if TikTok went away? Uh, Quickly before we let you go, (laughs) Spotify shutting down the popular game Hurdle. I don't even know what the game is because I'm not into that kind of stuff, but what's the scoop there? 
Yeah, I remember uh, when Wordle was super popular, all these spinoffs came. Hurdle is that okay. you listen to a song for a snippet. It's like a partial second, and you have to guess what song it is. Uh, I think with Spotify, they bought it just over a year ago. Uh, and I think the idea was you were going to hear a song, and then you were going to download it right away from Spotify. Apparently, that has not turned into the case, and so they're saying they're going to shut it down May 5th. So if you love Hurdle, you got to play it by May 5th, and it's gone. It's a real hurdle for those who oh, enjoy gaming, Andy. I guess. Oh. In the meantime. I know, Mike. Thanks uh, for your uh, words, Mike, and that uh, beware when it comes to charging and juice jacking. Yeah. Another term I've just learned about. Thank you so much, Mike. You're welcome. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.